reading verses 15 to 23 in chapter 6. So feel free to follow along with me if you like. Paul asks, What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, let's pray together. Good Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you be gracious to meet us in, our, in the midst of our weakness. We're tired. Um, our minds perhaps are a little dulled by the week's activities. Our hearts may be hard or even come tonight disappointed uh, or in need of comfort. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would meet us in your spirit, that you would show us Jesus, uh, that you would meet with us and make us like yourselves. Press the truth of the gospel into reality in our lives. I ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. You can join in if you like. It's our party. We can do what we want. It's our party. We can say what we want. It's our party. We can love who we want. We can kiss who we want. We can see who we want. I'm going to skip a little bit. <laughs> yep. So la da dee da. We like to party. Dancing with Miley or Molly, whichever it might be. Doing whatever we want. This is our house. This is our rules. And we can't stop and we won't stop. Can't you see it's we who own the night? Can't you see it's we who about that life? And we can't stop and we won't stop. We run things. Things don't run we. We don't take nothing from nobody. Yeah, yeah. It's our party. We can do what we want. It's our party. We can say what we want. It's our party. We can love who we want. We can kiss who we want. We can see who we want. And in case you don't get the message, it's repeated two or three more times. So, One LA Times columnist wrote, this is the calmest, most clear-eyed rebel yell in music in 25 years. You know, it's, it's sort of a, an adolescent house party anthem of, uh, of autonomous freedom. It's very interesting. Um, Lyrically, it's not exactly genius, uh, but its overall message is pretty clear. We can do what we want. Uh, it's a very popular message. That song sold two million copies already. It's only four months old. Uh, the question no one seems to ask is, is, is it a good message? Is it a true message? And there are signs, even in the song, that they don't really believe it's all that good. I haven't talked to them, of course, about it. Uh, if you've listened to it, you know that the tempo to the song for a house party song is a little slow. It's even got a tint of sadness to the song, I think. Uh, but even the phraseology of the lyrics is really interesting. We can't stop. What, what do you mean you can't stop? I mean, it's one thing to say we won't stop, and no one controls us, we can do whatever we want. But what do you mean you can't stop? That doesn't sound almost like freedom to me. 
And uh, we live in a culture where people are really good at saying very loudly and thinking very often uh, that we're free and we can do what we want. But all too, our li- too often in our lives, uh, which are marked by selfishness and even self-destructive tendencies, it's really clear that we can't stop. That often we live lives that are very selfish, self-destructive, and even if we want to stop, we find ourselves unable to do so. I, th- I think as it regards freedom, we find ourselves living in the midst of a myth. It's a myth that's born in our hearts that we carry with us throughout our lives. It's certainly perpetuated in our culture. It's epitomized in songs like this. That we're free. That we can do whatever we want. But I think the reality is we're not that free after all. And our text is going to tell us that we have a new freedom. There's a new freedom for those that are committed to the gospel. And uh, we're going to see tonight, and it's going to go... The first one's pretty quick. Uh, spiritual service 101. We're going to talk about the nature of spiritual service at the very ground level. That'll be quick. Then we'll talk about a faux freedom, and then how freedom is restored to us. So, uh, first, spiritual service 101, and Paul introduces us to this in verse 16. He does it like he did at the beginning of chapter 6. It's with a question, a hypothetical question. Hey guys, don't you know? The implication, of course, is you should know. Don't you know? Verse 16, if I can find it. That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, your slaves are the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. Paul is saying, hey, don't you know if you commit yourself, if you give yourself over to someone as a slave, that you are a slave? And uh, you know, logically, it makes sense. If I give myself to someone as a slave, I'm a slave. It's a little strange for us culturally because we don't think about slavery unless it's sex trafficking today. Uh, but it was very common during that time for people to give themselves away in slavery, sort of like indentured servitude in the early days of the colonies. People would have a tremendous debt. They would sell themselves for a number of years, pay off the debt. That kind of slavery depended on the owner. It wasn't necessarily uh, torturous or, or terrible. You paid off your debt, you moved on with your life. And so people would give themselves away in slavery. And Paul is saying that principle is true in our lives, that we commit ourselves when we sin. Or when we choose the opposite route. Um, and the commitment's real. Uh, we tend to think of sin or actions completely as choices, free choices. I can choose this or I cannot do this. I can choose that or I can choose this. And Paul is saying, no, no, it's less like a choice and more like obeying an influence at work in your life. It's obedience. It's actually the word he says. He actually says, you end up obeying sin. It tells you what to do and you do it. You're committed to it. In some ways, if you give yourself to it, it owns you. That's the nature of slavery. It owns you. And that commitment has consequences. He talks about it in verse 16 and 19 and 23. I'm not going to go into detail now, but later. The reality that there are consequences to our commitments, to our choices, to our sin, is something we don't really believe. We see it played out in movies, stories, songs, and other people's lives, so much so that it's just common. If any of you watched Breaking Bad, you just sort of waited for all the bad stuff to come back on the guy's head, for him to get what he deserved. And uh, the same is true with all kinds of other, other tales that we follow. Somehow we think things won't stick to us, especially in college. You know, college is one of the great college myths. There's four or five core college myths. One of them is what you do in college stays in college. Maybe you haven't heard it. What happens here stays here. 
They mean two things by that, really. Like, this is a, this is a vacuum where sound doesn't leave, and no one will ever know what happens here. Uh, that's a lie, <laughs> especially when you put everything on Facebook. Um, everyone will know immediately. And then secondly, the idea that what happens here won't have consequences that affect you beyond here. You won't take it with you. That's also a lie. It really is. Um, if that's true, then why would you even come? Because that means there would be no good consequences either. Consequences don't stick then why study? <laughs> why pursue what's good? The reality is your choices and your commitments do have consequences. And that's the reality of the world we live in. This is Spirituality 101. The commitments we make to sin or to God have consequences. We do have a choice. We can either obey sin or we can pursue obedience. And this is something that's very, very, very offensive. If it's not offensive to you, I'm going to assume you're not listening. (laughs) You're not understanding. Or maybe you're just so used to Christian speech that's really not confronting you and you don't realize how you're struggling with this personally. But we live in a we can't stop, we won't stop, we run things, things don't run we kind of culture. We really believe this deep down. We think this is true of us. And Paul's saying that's not the way God works and it's not the way sin works and it's not the way your heart works. We've bought into a lie about freedom, a myth a, a mythology about freedom. It's what I call faux freedom. And uh, again, I think this is something that sort of we've inherited by our sinful nature. It's just sort of something we think. That I'll, I'll discuss it as we go along. But our culture makes it worse. Uh, and I love our culture, most part. I love our country. Um, I love our freedoms. But we think we have all these God-given rights to do whatever we want, to be who we want. And that's just not promised to us anywhere. So, faux freedom begins with a heart that's deceived. It begins with a heart that's deceived. Everything in Christianity starts at the heart. And in verse 16, Paul has has to ask the question to a bunch of people who already know the answer. Don't you know? Don't you know if you give yourself to sin, that it's going to master you? And their answer would be, yeah, I, I know that. The next question would naturally be then, well, why do you do it all the time? And their reply would be, what would you say? Put it to you too. I mean, why do you keep doing something that you know you shouldn't do? And, and part of it is the, the idea that we think we can escape the consequences of our choices. That our hearts are deceived. Uh, this goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. And the nature of sin and temptation has always been the same for everyone all the time. And in the garden... Uh, in the very beginning, our, our first family members are tempted. And uh, life's great. They're enjoying God's presence. They love God well. God loves them. They love one another. Everything's wonderful. And they're, they're tempted to do something they know they shouldn't do. And uh, at the heart of the temptation is a promise and a doubt. It's, did God really say this to you? Did God really say you can't do this? Uh, it begins with the deception. God didn't really say this. He didn't really mean this. God's not really being good to you. The heart of all sin begins with deception. That God's not really good and he's not out for your best interest. And that if you just go it your own way and pursue what you want, you can be happy. You can have life. That is the nature of the lie that all of us believe. That if we just do what we want and no one can stop us, 
that we'll have life like we want it. That it'll be beautiful. It'll be wonderful. And our hearts are well skilled at believing that lie over and over in face of all kinds of evidence. 38 years of living now, making poor decisions and seeing the consequences. And I still want to believe the lie that if I just do what I want, people will just listen to me and get out of my way. And everything just works the way I want to. It'll all be great. Stupid. But my heart's dumb that way. And yours is too. And instead of getting joyful freedom, which is what we think we're going to get, what we get instead are hearts that are enslaved. Verses 16 and 20. Don't you know if you give yourself to sin, your heart will be enslaved? Verse 20, he goes on and says it more clearly. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Paul's saying, listen, this is the nature of humanity apart from Jesus. Sin dwells in us. Parasitic nature pervades our lives. And it tells us what to do. And for the most part, we gladly go along with it. And, uh, you know, it's a parasite that we sort of welcome. And it, and it uh, entices us and empowers us and we pursue it. Uh, and in some ways make the best of it. Because we think, truly, deep in our hearts, that by pursuing these things, we'll really get life like we're supposed to have it. Uh, Now, if you're a Christian, Paul's going to say, this is not true of you any longer. You're no longer a slave of sin. He he made that point over and over again in previous 14 verses we had last week. That you've been set free. That you now have a new master, a new reign. Sin no longer reigns in you. That your human heart, which is readily captivated and captured by sin, has been set free. But we're not done with all the bad news. The faux freedom is that if we just do what we want, believe the lie, pursue it, then we'll get life. The reality is we get other consequences, and the consequences are greater sin. You see it in verse 19. Look carefully with me at the uh, second part. Just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. We, We tend to think that if we... If we choose to do something we know we shouldn't do, that we can cut it off and can control it. That we can keep the mess tidy. And Paul's saying, uh, actually what happens is sin leads to greater sin. Call it the law of diminishing returns. Uh, call it the slippery slope. Call it what you want. But the short of it is, it's the, it's the human heart's tendency to spiral down into deeper sin. And this is also what we see in the garden. That once Adam pursues uh, the fruit, once he disobeys God, what happens immediately is everything begins to fracture and fall apart. One simple act of disobedience, what happens next? He blames God. He blames his wife. They go into hiding. I mean, the world falls apart quickly. And uh, that's the way it is with us, that sin leads to greater sin. We, we really don't believe this. We think we can control it. Uh, but the reality is, when, when we place ourselves at the center of the moral universe, which is what, what, what we do, I can choose to do this, and it'll be okay, and I won't reap the consequences. This is what's going to make me happy. I'll do this. Um, when we're searching and believing, like God, we can make and choose what's right or wrong. In the end, we will bend all kinds of rules to get what we want. We will do all kinds of things that we normally wouldn't even think about doing because we think we deserve it. How many times in a given week... Do you do something you know you shouldn't do because you quickly rationalize, I deserve this. 
I mean, why do you deserve it? Are you God? You're just a creature. But I do it too. I mean, we, we so easy rationalize our sin because we think we deserve life. We deserve to be in the middle of things. We deserve to decide whatever we want to do. And, and Paul says this all leads to greater shame. Verses 20 and 21. You know, there are some things that you do, like some of you are going to start no, no shave November. It's going to be shameful for some of you because you're going to look pathetic. You're going to look like a 12-year-old trying to grow a beard. But you're going to do it for some promise of glory. Like, you'll do something shameful because there may be some real benefit, right? Sometimes you do this. Like, there'll be benefit, but I'll, I'll shame myself potentially for the benefit. Paul is saying, what we do with sin is reap great shame for no benefit. It's not, it's not quite true. He says there's no fruit. There, there is a benefit. The benefit is lasting pleasure. Not lasting pleasure, but momentary pleasure. It's momentary pleasure. It feels good. Strokes our ego. Doesn't last. No lasting goodness comes from it. And we get shame as a result. And in short, summing up this faux freedom, we think we're free, we think we're in control, we think we can toy with sin, think we can control it, think we can diminish its effects in our lives, think we can control the consequences or escape it. And the reality is our hearts are not made that way. When we give ourselves away to something, we commit ourselves. And sin doesn't work that way. Sin moves in and takes over. It's a parasite that wants to control you. It animates you. And you're made. Your heart's made to be moved by something. This is the nature of faux freedom. A good example of this is uh, a character from the TV show The Wire. The Wire went off a number of years ago. The character Waylon is played by uh, a country music singer named uh, Steve Earle. Uh, Waylon's a recovering drug addict. And in the first season, he stands up at an AA meeting. He has this to say. It's uh, quite telling. I've been clean 24 hours now, and I'm still certain my disease wants me dead. I'm in here talking about how strong I feel, but my disease is out there right now doing push-ups. It's on steroids, waiting to kick me up and down the street. I've got scars on my hands, on my feet, two bouts of endocarditis, hep C, and whatnot, kicking down walls and busting out windows in my liver. I've lost a good wife a bad girlfriend, and the respect of everybody who's ever tried to loan me money or do me a favor. I pawned my pickup, I gave away my bike, and a stamp collection my grandfather gave me. And when it was almost over for me, when I was out on the corner by myself, and everyone who ever knew me or loved me was cussing my name, you know what I said to myself? Waylon, you're doing good. I surely did. I thought I was God's own drug addict. And if God hadn't meant for me to get high, he wouldn't have made getting high so much like perfect. You know what he's saying? He's brilliant. He's saying it's, it's the nature of sin to seem perfect. You wouldn't do it. <laughs> If it wasn't good, if it wasn't great, if it wasn't pleasurable, if it didn't deliver for a moment, if it didn't give you a bit of life or a bit of joy, and you sleep with someone, why? Because you long to be intimate. You want to be loved. It's pleasurable. When you give yourself over to the God of performance, why? Because for just a moment, it feels good to be the smartest person you can think of. 
and to get what you think you deserve. It delivers for a moment. We know what it's like. Maybe none of you are drug addicts. <laughs> Although I wouldn't put it past somebody. I mean, this is the nature of our school. There are all kinds of people here doing all kinds of things in hiding. But every single one of us knows what it's like to be giving ourselves to something that feels so much like perfect. Maybe it's a dream, an escape, a fantasy. I don't know what it is in your life. But there's something in you that you just readily give yourself to because you think you deserve it. It tastes good, it feels good, it delivers for a time. In the end, though, there are moments of clarity when you realize this is a lie. This is not ultimate. This doesn't deliver. I need more. You have to keep going back. And of course, almost no one here knows about it because you're ashamed to talk about it, right? And the reality is we, we can't control this. We can't have a dating relationship with this where we just sort of see it every now and then. This thing wants to own you. And its goal is to destroy you. That's the nature of sin. And that's the nature of our heart. Our heart's penchant is to give ourselves away to something. And Paul's saying your options are you can give it away to sin or you can give it away to God. But if you're in Christ, you're no longer a slave. What we see next, lastly, is how our freedom is restored. And and Paul says first, at least logically, that our freedom is restored by God's grace. Uh, You see it in verses 17 and 18. You sort of got to put the pieces of the puzzle together or connect the dots But in verse 17, he says, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, that you become obedient from the heart. And then in verse 18, he says, Having been set free from sin. He's speaking to people that that trust Jesus, and he says, You've been set free from sin. Thank God. Because it's God who sets you free. It's God's grace that sets you free. And Paul here is just using really shorthand to sort of summarize all that's gone before. In chapter 3, God sent his son. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't merit it. He sent his own son to die as an atoning sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that takes our punishment on himself, that we might be declared right, that God might look at us, that Jesus would bear our sin, and God would look at us and see us as perfectly righteous. And then in chapter 5, that God would actually treat us like that son. He would look at us, perfectly robed as righteous, and say, you're my beloved child. I love you. That we would enjoy the peace of God. That we enjoy the joy that God wants to give us. And then verse 6, that being united to Jesus by faith, that we would be in such union with him that we have a new life. That we literally go through his death and our baptism and come out in new life as sort of new creatures. And now we have new freedom. If you're in Christ... If you've trusted in Jesus, Paul's saying in this chapter, you are free. You've you got to feel the tension. Because by now, you should be saying, yeah, I'm free. I don't feel like it. What about yesterday? What about this weekend? What about next Friday? Am I free? Then why do I do these things? And it's because we forget the gospel. We're we're. Our freedom is restored by God's grace through the gospel. And we so often forget the gospel. Paul says in verse 17, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have been 
have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you're committed. Uh, strange language here. Obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you're committed. And I think what Paul's saying here, and I'm, if you're really interested in this, you can go back and look at chapter 1, verse 5. Paul's saying the gospel is a message. It's a reality. Uh, it's, it's, it's more than that. It's, it's the opposite of sin invading this world. It's the good news of Jesus invading this world. It's a message you take into you that has the power to overcome sin's reign. And just like sin, you can obey it. You should obey the gospel. You should believe it deeply. You should obey it. it you should give yourself to it. That's what Paul's saying here is that if you're, in, if you're a Christian, you've done this. The reality is we forget. And some of you, of course, may be here today and you're not sure what you think about Christianity. And this is, this is a good op- opportunity for me to say, you, you wonder why the Christians you know live really messy lives uh, or they're hypocrites. Well, there's lots of reasons. None of us are who we're supposed to be and none of us ever will be. But part of it is Christians all the time are forgetting who they are. And we're not living as though we're free. It happens. The good news is that Jesus doesn't give up on us. And he's at work through the good news, making us like Jesus. So the consequences of sin is greater sin and greater shame. The consequence of grace is greater beauty and greater life. See in verse 19 and 20, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Uh, I've said this before. We, we tend to use big words around here, but never without defining them. And, and sanctification is really, really important. It, it's a fancy word for the Christian life. And, and the idea here is that God is making us holy. The word sanctify literally means to make holy. A simpler way of putting it is the way I told it to my children. And it's also the way we talk about it here in RUF. God is making you like Jesus. If you're a Christian, God is utterly committed to making you like Jesus. You're supposed to love God and love others. And that is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Some of you guys might be being like, I don't want to be beautiful. It's, it's also a powerful thing. Okay? <laughs> Jesus walked around. See if Galilee said, hey, you follow me. And those guys were like, all right, man, I'll follow you. Like, that's the kind of beauty, power uh, that God seeks to build into the lives of his people. That's what God's out to do, to make us like Jesus, those that love God and love our neighbors well. It's the nature of sin to move in, to fracture, to deceive, to break, to ruin, to corrupt. It's the nature of grace, the gospel, to move in and to restore and to gather and to bring together. And lastly, verse 22, this truth that restores freedom leads to greater life. The fruit leads you to sanctification and eternal life. And eternal life isn't, isn't just a quantitative thing, you know, life that goes on forever, decimal point, you know, zero, 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 infinity. Um, it's a quality of life. It's a quality of life. It's the beauty of life. Perfectly enjoyed with God and his people forever. And, it, and I've made this argument before. It, it begins now if you're a Christian. It's something that invades your life now. That you're living a life that's free from guilt. Free con- from condemnation. Including your own condemnation. Beating yourself up. Free from shame. 
free from the dread of judgment. This is the kind of life of freedom that you're supposed to live now and that you can live now. There's one other thing you have to do. Christian, speaking to Christians here, if you're not a Christian, then the offer is always available to you. Pursue Jesus. Figure out who he is. See how good the gospel is. Consider whether or not the life you live is really free. And then realize that God's offering you something that you really want, but you don't think you can have. But if you're a Christian, God has called you to be free. And that freedom actually looks like presenting yourselves to God. It's the language of this text. You're supposed to present yourselves to God. Think for a moment about how much energy you expend every week creatively serving yourself, sinning. I mean, I don't mean just like unintentionally sinning. I mean intentionally sinning, doing things you know you shouldn't do. Think how much energy you spend every week intentionally doing things you know you shouldn't do, and then how much energy you expend doing it secretly so that no one will find out about it. Some of you are thinking, well, I don't spend much. Well, we're really good at this. Think how much energy then you spend just naturally sinning. And what Paul is saying in, in verse 19 is, just as you've given yourself to sin, give yourself to righteousness. Uh, yeah. Yeah, think, think about the, the, the most creative bank robber ever. Or, or, the, or, the, or the vilest but smartest Wall Street exec who ever won a Ponzi scheme. And Paul is saying, you know, all that creativity... All that genius, all that energy expended in wronging people, just like that, serve God. And all that energy you spend fretting about your perfect grades, like it's a God to be served, or hiding your sin and shame so no one will see you, all that energy, all that creativity, use it to serve God. I think deep down we don't really believe that God can give us enough. That we don't believe he can give us enough in life to really deliver on the goods. And, and what Paul is saying here, and God's inviting us to, is saying, God is so good that he wants all of you. I mean, you don't deserve to give yourself to him. He, he, <laughs> you haven't been faithful. The fact that he will take you is a miracle of his grace. But he's so good and he's so big that all your skills, all your creativity, all your energy can go to serving him. And it would be amazing. You'll love God and love others. It'll be, it'll be wonderful. You can do it. And some of you may be here and you're trying to figure out what Christianity is or if this thing is really good. And it may be because you're looking to give yourself to something. You know life is supposed to be more than just selfish, self-service. That You really don't want to do more in life than just buy a suburban home and play with your dog. Nothing wrong with that, but you want more than that. Is there anything great in this world for me to do? And God says, every ounce of your creativity and energy can be given to loving God and loving others. Present yourselves to him. It's a faux freedom that we're all sort of beholden to. If you're a Christian, you don't have to live that way. And there's a real freedom that God's working in our lives that you can have, that you should believe. I'm not a particularly big fan of the series, the books, the stories, or people that dress like it. Uh, but 
We have something in here to learn here from Star Wars. Uh, Anakin Skywalker, blessed with great abilities, slowly but surely seduced by the lies and insinuations of Palpatine, convinces him that the Jedis don't trust him, that they don't have his best interest in mind. And once he's secured Anakin's commitment, what does he do? Palpatine sends him to kill every Jedi. This is a spoiler alert, but it's been like seven years. This is your fault. Like a five-year statute of limitations. I don't care about spoiling anything. So Palpatine sends him to kill every Jedi, including like toddlers. And when he returns, as you're watching the movie, you can sense, you can see his growing corruption and the power as the dark side grows in him as a consequence of his actions. But his transformation to the dark side, if you've seen it, it's actually really ugly. It's, it's terrible. Uh, as his transformation to Vader isn't complete yet, even with the murder of the innocents. Uh, it isn't complete when he chokes his wife into unconsciousness. It isn't complete when Obi-Wan leaves him dismembered on fire to die. It isn't complete when Palpatine reconstructs him with cybernetic limbs and black armor. The transition to the dark side is only complete when Palpatine lyingly tells him that Skywalker killed his wife as a result of his own anger. In his anguished belief of the lie, in his great shame, he gave himself fully to the dark side. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. And, And now I can say to you, I could say to you, don't do that. Okay? Don't do that. Don't believe the lie. Don't go murdering innocent people. But don't believe the lie. Don't, don't wallow in the shame. Don't buy into it. And I would be right to say that. But what you need to know is that's not enough. That message, though good, is not enough to redeem you or to restore your freedom. And it wasn't enough to restore Vader's. But in the end, Vader is restored, right? In the end, the Jedi does return. And it's not Luke. If you watch the rest of the movies, you know that through a son, a son who came and turned himself in, who refused to give himself to the lie, refused to give himself to the dark side, he instead chose to let the emperor's wrathful force course through his body. He chose to die rather than give in. And he did it all in the hope that his father might be restored. And Vader, seeing his son suffering, The power of the dark side is broken. Picks up the emperor, throws him down the Death Star's reactor core. And the Jedi returns. And there's something here for us. How is the spell, the slavery of sin, broken in your life? It's through the sun. It's seeing the sun that comes, that gives his life for you, that sets you free. It's seeing his suffering. It's seeing his love. It's knowing your freedom. And now give yourself. If you're free, give yourself to his glory. Give yourself to the good of others. Let's pray together. Good Lord.